Once Upon a Midnight, a presentation of the American Broadcasting Company dedicated to the hearty listener who favors a tale spiced with mystery and imagination. What time is it in your house? Eight? Nine? Ten? Set the clock ahead. Make it twelve. Midnight's the time for these stories. And now here's your host, the noted director and producer, an expert guide along the path of dark adventure, Mr. Alfred Hitchcock. It was not until several weeks after he had decided to murder his wife that Dr. Bickley took any active steps in the matter. Murder is a serious business. The tiniest slip may be disastrous. And Dr. Bickley had no intention of risking disaster. This was to be the most delicately perfect of all perfect crimes. Suspense. Shock, murder, all the makings of a spine-tingling mystery drama in the hands of a past master of theatrical illusion, Alfred Hitchcock. We of the American Broadcasting Company believe this new series has the opportunity of becoming the most important and distinguished of its kind in radio. Mr. Hitchcock will appear in every program as the narrator and will personally supervise the writing and direction of each highly dramatic tale. It is our good fortune that Alfred Hitchcock has an enormous interest in radio. In fact, the idea of this series originated with him. This is important because it means we have the great asset of a star with a personal enthusiasm in making the series a true milestone in radio. The musical score is handled by Felix Mills in a new and effective way. Instead of using music simply as a bridge between scenes, each episode will be especially scored for dramatic value. The music used to make plot points, to add impact to the action and sharpness to the dialogue. We feel that in every way, this new radio series offers an unusual opportunity to combine broad popular appeal with truly distinguished radio treatment. We leave it to you to judge. You were saying, Mr. Hitchcock, that uh, murder is a serious business. Oh, yes, and murderers are serious people. You know, one thing that has always fascinated me about criminals is that when you walk down a street, any passerby might be a murderer. They don't all wear black mustaches. I imagine most murderers behave just like mild, ordinary people until suddenly one day they turn and stab you in the back or drop a lump of cyanide in a friend's tea. I think this idea must have intrigued Francis Isles too, for the murderer in his story, Malice Aforethought, the Dr. Bickley I mentioned, was certainly an ordinary person, a little fellow, lightly built, around 38 I imagine, sandy hair, a bit thin on top, small sandy moustache, you've seen him, on top of a bus, perhaps, or you've met him on a train. Or if you'd lived near Wyvern Cross in England a few years back, you might have met him in the village, starting out on the morning rounds of his patients. Good morning, Dr. Bigley. Good morning, Mrs. Templar. Morning, Doctor. Morning, Miss Dean. Lovely morning. Lovely. Oh, Bigley. Mr. Tor, good morning. Oh, morning. Good morning, Dr. Bigley. Good morning. How's your mother? Better, thank you. Ah, splendid. Morning, Doctor. Good morning. Morning, Mrs. Cheevy, Mrs. Harvard. Lovely morning. Lovely. Listen to the way he says, lovely morning. I must say I do enjoy a cheerful murderer, although when he got home, Dr. Bickley wasn't always quite as cheery. I suppose his wife, Julia, was what you would call a battle axe. Anyway, she was a lot older than Bickley, almost an old maid type, I suppose. Probably would have been if Bickley hadn't married her. Really, Edmund, really. You might have been considerate enough to come home a little earlier, today of all days. How can Florence get on with her work if you keep her waiting to wash up your lunch things like this? Sorry, Julia. 
Have to get through my patients, you know. Well, of course. Do you want some more of that cold joint? Uh, just a glass of beer, I think. Edmund, you have far too much to do to sit here drinking beer. Have you forgotten we're having guests? No, my sweet. Besides, you know how beer makes you perspire. Oh, the tours will play tennis, of course. You better put the net up first. You know how it sags during the first half hour. Mm -hmm. Then there are the two tables to be taken out and the chairs. And I think you better put the awning up in this sun. And after that, you'll have to... My dear, I, uh, <laughs> I don't think I should be able to get all those things done. My dear Edmund, they've got to be done. Have you finished? I'm waiting. Uh, a bit of cheese, I think. You've no time for cheese. Oh, then I suppose I'm finished. Just as well we don't give tennis parties every day, isn't it? <laughs> oh, I'm glad you mentioned it. The court will have to be rolled. What? The tennis court, Edmund. Wet it down and roll it. But then I'll have to remark all the lines. Well, of course, Edmund. But, but I don't... Now, Edmund, it. don't stand there. Get about it. Dear me, it's a pity I can't be in a dozen places at once to see to everything myself. Yes, dear. Well, that was a typical day at the Bickleys. Except on this particular day, the weather and tempers were hotter than usual. Game, isn't it? Edmund, Mr. Tor has nothing to eat. Oh, here we are. Sandwich, Mr. Tor? Oh, I believe I will. Oh. And how is old Mrs. Parrott these days, Doctor? Yes, she's been ailing, eh? Well, Mrs. Parrott, I might say... Edmund, Miss Rattery will have a sandwich. Oh, of course, Miss Rattery. Thank you, Doctor. You were asking about Mrs. Parrott. Oh, yes. Uh, as a physician, it's my opinion... Edmund, you... not there, please. Hmm? Don't sit there. That's Winfred's seat. She'll be back in a moment. Oh. Game set, Matt. Edmund, they're a ball short. Benji's hit one into the gooseberry bushes. Oh, did he? Well, go and look for it, Edmund. Don't get your guests. It's all right. I'll get it, Mrs. Bickley. No, Benji. Let Edmund. Oh, hurry, dear. Yes, dear. And so poor old Bickley put his head in the gooseberry bush looking for a tennis ball. Just as he was about to grab it with a hot and clammy hand, he heard himself a subject of conversation. Did you hear the way she orders him about? Awful, isn't it? I'm hanged if I'd speak to a dog like that. Uh, but then I imagine a fellow like Bickley rather enjoys it, eh? Oh, Benji. <laughs> well, you know as well as I do, he didn't enjoy it, especially when people laughed. All he could do was to clench his teeth and stare down into the bush. I can't stand this. Not much longer. I can't stand it. I wish Julia were dead. I wish... I wish I could kill her. By the way, I'd like to stop a moment and tell you about a secret little weakness Bickley had. Every night he would soothe himself to sleep with what he called his visions. Little extravagant pieces of imagination in which Bickley was always a person of supreme importance. Sometimes it was Bickley the great painter or Bickley the great composer. Regardless of the role, he was always great, always a hero. He'd pull up his knees under the blanket, snuggle his head deeper into the pillow, and then say to himself, Well, what shall we do tonight? I think I'll play for England. I think I'll beat Australia. Bickley, the great cricket player, was his favourite vision. At bat for more than ten hours. Amazing! Australia trying every bowler they had. No use. The man's too good. The match went on and on until Bickley had broken the world's record by scoring 501 runs. Stupendous! At the finish, he was carried from the field on the shoulders of his fellow players, the idol of the cheering thousands, the man of the hour, but always smiling and modest, when the Prime Minister said solemnly, Bickley, you have saved England.
naturally by this time Bickley was fast asleep. But those wild thoughts he had when his head was in the gooseberry bush formed the basis of a new vision. He saw himself, the respected physician of Wyvern Cross, dignified, light-hearted, strolling happily down the highway of life without a care in the world, without worry, without Julia. But how could I manage it? How could I kill her? How? Without risk. How could I kill her? How? How? How could I kill her? For nights and nights he did not play cricket once. Then an extraordinary thing happened. A thing that got poor old Bickley mixed up more than ever. He fell in love. She was a newcomer to Wyvern Cross, a Miss Madeline Cranmere, who'd taken up residence at the old hall, a huge castle-like affair on the hill. She was a girl of about 23, not pretty in the least, except for her blue eyes, which were quite beautiful. Bickley had never met her. Until the afternoon, he was summoned to the hall professionally and very hastily. Dr. Bickley, I'm Madeline Cranmere. So sorry to keep you waiting. Not at all, Miss Cranmere. I've spent a very enjoyable few minutes looking over the hall. I've never been up here before. It's beautiful, isn't ah, it? Ah, lovely. Perfect example of old Tudor. Oh, yes. I wouldn't know. Oh, absolutely. That carved overmantel, for instance, quite authentic. And uh, fortunately not spoiled by restoration. How interesting. You seem to know a lot about that sort of thing. Oh, no. Before you leave, I must show you the whole place. That's very kind. <laughs> not really. Actually, it'll be you who'll be showing me. <laughs> Will you have tea, Doctor? Tea? Well, uh... Please do. Uh, Vera? Yes, sir? Dr. Bickley will stay for tea. Dr. Bickley stayed quite late for tea. They talked of a hundred things, art mostly. It came out quite naturally that Dr. Bickley sketched a bit, or tried to. And Miss Cranmere was positive he must do wonderful work. From art, they passed to other topics, and it was amazing how identical were their views. There wasn't a lull in the conversation until almost six o'clock. Well, I suppose I should be running. Yes. I've had a most enjoyable afternoon. Shall I confess something, Doctor? I haven't spoken to anyone like this in... in weeks. You see, I live here by myself, except for the servants, of course. Already I'm finding life a little lonely. Oh. But you're coming back to sketch the hall. You promise. It's a privilege, Miss Cranmer. Well. Well? Oh, uh, Miss Cranmer, you called this afternoon. I mean, the message you left at the house. Oh, oh, yes. I don't sleep well, Doctor. Hmm. Any particular reason you can think of? No. Just nerves, I think. You know. Of course. <laughs> High strung. I suppose I am. Well, we shall certainly have to take care of that. I'll write a prescription at once. Thank you, Doctor. Dr. Bickley came away from the hall that evening, and other evenings too, feeling ten years younger. These nights, as Bickley snuggled into his pillow to begin the happy journey into imagination, he had a new vision to lull him to sleep. Not merely life without Julia, but life with Madeline Cranmere. Madeline Cranmere always at his side. 
Madeline Cranmere smiling beautifully, always helpful and understanding. Madeline Cranmere, his life companion, his soulmate. Madeline the fair, Madeline the lovable, Madeline the lily maid. That girl, Madeline Cranmere, is getting herself talked about. Uh, uh, what's that, Julia? You must have heard me, Edmund. You weren't asleep. You were sighing. Are you in pain? Uh, no, no, no. I uh, suppose I've been thinking. I said that Madeline Cranmere is getting herself talked about. Really? Well, people around here will talk about anyone. I don't mind them talking about her. But I don't like to see the Bourne family name dragged in the mud. Bourne? Denny Bourne. He's been seen up there several times lately. You mean they're, they're talking about her and Denny Bourne? Don't shout at me, Edmund. What's the matter with you? Well, well I think it's abominable. Just because a young man has tea once or twice with a young lady, I... Lord, beats me how these things get about. But they do get about, Edmund. And other things, too. Huh? Uh, so it seems. Is Miss Cranmere in good health, Edmund? Why, I imagine so. Then why do you have to see her every other day? Now, look here, Julia. If you're insinuating Keep that I... Keep your voice down. I have a violent headache. You needn't bother to pretend with me, Edmund. I know you too well. Normally, I don't interfere with your amusements. But in this case, I warn you, I will not permit it. Julia, I won't stand this sort of thing, even from you. You don't know the first thing about Miss Cranmere. If you think for one moment that Edmund, she's... Edmund, do you imagine yourself in love with this girl? No, I... No, I do not. I think your beastly insinuations Thank are... you, I have no wish to hear. Now, will you kindly give me something for this headache? It's horrible. Julia... And in future, I... will you please stay away from the hall? This was awkward. Bickley had to go up to the hall that next afternoon. Otherwise, he couldn't finish that portrait he was making of Madeline. He certainly found himself between the devil and her deep blue eyes. Is it finished yet? In a moment. Uh, just turn toward the light again, Miss Cranmere. Yeah, that's it. Now, if I could just... Oh, Lord. What is it? It's no good. I can't get at you. Not the real you. I'll throw it in the fire. No, please. May I see it? If you want to. But it's not good, really. Hmm. Clever. You really think so? I say that. It's wonderful to hear you say that. Very clever. Oh, I say. I don't see what you mean by not being able to get me. I think it's exactly like me. Oh, yes, it's like you, but that isn't the point. I was trying to get at you. I mean, show where you differ from everyone else. I mean, your expression... The way you hold your head, that that lovely, deep look in your eyes, your wonderful, wonderful... I think I understand. Madeline, I suppose you know what I'm doing? Yes, I know. I'm making love to you? Yes. Madeline. Oh, Edmund. Edmund, please go. Go at once. Not now. Oh, please. Don't you see how wrong it is? How stupidly, inalterably wrong. You have a wife, Edmund. Yes. Yes, I have a wife. That night in bed, Whitley had the most important of all his visions. He began to see very clearly how Julia would die.
murder is a serious business. The tiniest slip may be disastrous. It was Julia herself who put the final plan into his mind. For the past five years, Julia had been subject to headaches, which the doctor sometimes treated with a mild injection of morphine. The first part of his plan was almost childlike in its simplicity. He would give Julia her headaches with the aid of a drug he had read about in a medical journal. Corrective for uric acid diathesis. Drug is no longer used, not only because of its prohibitive price, but because it tends to produce violent headaches. Next morning and every other morning at breakfast thereafter, Julia received a generous dose of this drug sprinkled lightly over her grapefruit. It was certainly a bit of luck that Julia had a passion for grapefruit. Oh, dear, 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 dear. Well, I'll have to get along. Lots of cases this morning. Goodbye, Julia. Oh, dear. What's the matter? Headache. Oh, bad? Blinding. The worst ever. Oh, well, perhaps you'd better lie down for a while. I'll look in on you at lunch. I can't lie down. It'll only be worse. You'd better give me something before you go, Edmund. Give you what, my dear? Whatever it is you always give me. I can't stand this. Julia... I've thought for a long time that these headaches of yours were just the result of being, well, run down. Now it looks to me like something organic. Well, what? That I can't say. But if they go on, I shall have to take you to see a specialist. You'll do nothing of the kind, Edmund. The headaches went on and the treatment went on. Headaches, morphine, headaches, morphine. By the middle of January, Julia was getting a good five grains a day. So far, so good. Oh, Dr. Bickley. Come in, Doctor. Is Miss Cranmere at home, Vera? Yes, sir. She's in the drawing room with Mr. Bourne. Oh, Bourne. Dr. Bickley, good afternoon. Miss Cranmere? Well, how are you, Bickley? How do you do? Danny's just leaving. You won't stay for tea, Danny? I'm sorry, I can't. Well, Miss Cranmere's been showing me your sketches, Bickley. They're not bad. Thanks. You must like the old place up here. Very interesting, architecturally. Only trouble with these old places is that they're not very sanitary. How's that? Plumbing's very bad. Oh, Dr. Bickley, really? Well, it is. Regular typhoid trap up here. Doctor! Well, thank you, Miss Cranmere. I've had a marvellous afternoon. Come again soon, Danny. Right. Dr. Bickley? Afternoon. Edmund, that wasn't very clever of you. Wasn't it? What's he doing up here? I don't like him. Come and sit down, Edmund. You haven't answered me, Madeline. This is the tenth time I've run into him in the last month. Edmund, are you so blind? Blind to what? All I see is that you've constantly encouraged Danny Bourne to make this place a sort of... Of course I've encouraged him. Because of you, Edmund, don't you see? I have to let him come. I don't mind people talking about him and me. Let them say what they want. But I couldn't stand it if... if they talked about us, Edmund. Madeline, forgive me. <laughs> darling, don't ever be cross with me, please, darling. Madeline. I don't think you realize how difficult it is, Edmund. A girl like me in love with a married man. I know. It's difficult for me, too. I've tried to think it out clearly. I even spoke to Julia. When? Oh, a long time ago. You told her about us? No, no, certainly not. I should hope you wouldn't. What did you say to her? 
I asked her for a divorce. She wouldn't give it to you. She refused absolutely. You see, Edmund, you see how hopeless it is. No. No, it isn't hopeless. Give me time, that's all. Time? I seem to have a great deal of time, don't I? Madeline, look at me. You love me, don't you? You know I do, Edmund. How much do you love me? Edmund, what a strange question. How can you ask? Because I've got to know. I've got to know, Madeline. I love you more than I could ever tell. Thank you, Madeline. Well, that satisfied Bickley, but he realized now he'd better get a move on. My dear, I can't do it. I just can't. I merely asked for relief, Edmund. But I gave you a grain, my dear, just before dinner. I know. Now my head's worse than ever. But it can't go on, Julia. What can't? All this morphia. Very bad for you, you know. You... Well, you're coming to rely on us. Will you kindly put what you mean into plain words, Edmund? Well, to put it bluntly, it'll become a habit. If you're hinting that I'll become a drug fiend... Really, Edmund, what nonsense. Kindly come to the surgery and give me an injection at once. No. If you want any more injections, you... You'll have to change your doctor. I can't administer anymore. For your own sake, Julia. Well, that night, Julia slept very soundly. Bickley crept slowly down the stairs to the surgery. Quietly, he opened the drawer which contained the morphia serene. Hmm. It had recently been used. Julia was following the course prescribed. She was now addicted to morphine, self-administered. Part one of the plan was complete. Now for part two. He sent a letter to Julia's brother and sister in a nearby town. Just what is this all about, Edmund? Is Julia ill? I'm afraid it's more serious than that, Hilda. Well, let's hear the worst and get it over with. What's the matter with Julia? Well, not easy for me to tell you this. But I felt as her brother and sister, you had a right to know. Julia's... She's addicted to morphine. Morphine? But you mean Julia takes dope? While you're visiting here, make some excuse to see her forearm. You can manage it, Hilda. You'll notice that the arm's almost covered with tiny punctures. Morphine. It's incredible. A dope fiend. Well, that would be a nice thing to get around, wouldn't it? We'll have to keep this hushed up, Edmund. Naturally. But I wanted someone else to know. I, uh, I feel better somehow. You must admit that Bickley had done a very neat job up to now. By the time the brother and sister left, they were ready to swear that Julia was a drug addict. As he saw them to their car, Bickley was rubbing his hands in cheerful anticipation of the next step in the murder. He called it part three, the overdose. A few mornings later, Julia rose from breakfast with the worst headache ever. Bickley's face was almost comic in his effort to conceal his delight. This was the time, this was the day Julia would die. He locked up the morphine carefully, then went out on his morning calls. At noon, he returned home secretly to find Julia still suffering horribly. Good. He went to the surgery, unlocked the medicine cabinet, counted the grains of morphine into his hand. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight... 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. 15 grains. Half would have been enough. Hurry, please, Edmund, yes, hurry. Yes, dear, yes, dear. With his gloved hands, he filled the syringe, surprised at the steadiness of his fingers. Another flash of genius. Uh, will you hold this syringe a moment, Julia? Thank you. 
Oh, the clever devil. Her fingerprints on the cylinder. And then, in all fairness, we must say it, Brickley gave his wife one last chance. I'll take that syringe now. Julia, for some time past, I've wanted to ask you something. Will you reconsider your decision about divorcing me? No, Edmund, I will not. I'm not a child, Julia. I know my own mind. I'm in love with Madeline Cranmer. I've known it for months. And nothing would persuade me to divorce you for her. The girl's no good, Edmund, no good at all. That's absolutely final? Absolutely. Hold out your arm, Julia. Oh, thank you, Edmund. Go upstairs, Julia. Go up and lie down. Now, let's see, says Bickley. Julia will be dead in 20 minutes. No one knows you came home. Leave the house, go on your rounds, be seen on the street and establish you were not here when the tragedy took place. Be seen, Dr. Bickley. She'll be dead in 20 minutes. Be seen in the village. Afternoon, Dr. Bickley. Good afternoon, Mrs. Wright. Dr. Bickley. Ah, oh, Mrs. Templer, lovely afternoon. Lovely. Good afternoon, Doctor. Benji, how's your leg? Oh, perfect. Good. Afternoon, Mrs. Cheevy. Uh, Mrs. Harford, lovely day, isn't it? At the precise moment that Julia left this world, Dr. Bickley was at the other end of the village, sounding old Mr. Tracy's heart. He wished Mr. Tracy's heart didn't sound so much like a clock ticking. It made him nervous. 20 minutes from 12.30. That's 10 minutes of one. She's dying. She's dying right now. Julia's dying. His heart is beating, living, beating. And hers is stopping, dying, stopping. <laughs> What's wrong, Doctor? Is the old ticker on the blinker? Oh, no, 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 Mr. Tracy. It's fine. You'll live, I think. Bickley didn't go home. Better let his maid make the discovery. What to do in the meantime? What about going up to the hall to see Madeline? When he arrived, he found another guest barring the doorway. It was Denny Bourne. I don't understand this, Denny. Where's Madeline? Isn't she here? Well, she isn't feeling well, that's all. She's up in her room, lying down. I'll go up and see her. I don't think you should. As a matter of fact, old boy, I think you'd better not come up here at all from now on. Really? And why not? Well, it's only decent, you know. After all, with Madeline and I just becoming engaged. Engaged? You and Mad... Engaged? Well, then she didn't tell you. Oh, she promised she would. I don't believe it. Why, you young fool. Oh, no, let's not. After all. Get out of my way. Now, see here. Get Bickley. out of my way. Madeline. Edmund, you shouldn't have tried to see me. Madeline, look here. This is all nonsense, of course. No, Edmund, it isn't. I've thought it all out. We couldn't go on. You don't love Denny Bourne. You couldn't. Edmund. Listen to me. This is what you're going to do. Edmund, my shoulder. You're hurting me. Listen. You're going downstairs this minute and break this thing off. Tomorrow I'm going to London to buy a special license. You're coming with me. We'll be married. In three days, we'll be married. Let me go. Are you mad, Edmund? You have a wife. A wife. My wife is dead. <sighs> Denny? Denny? 
Danny! Shut up! Danny! Shut up, do you Danny. hear? Danny! <laughs> Dr. Pickley! Dr. Pickley, sir! Vera, Miss Cramer is hysterical. Get me some cold water. Yes, sir, but the telephone, sir. You wanted it once. It's Mrs. Pickley, sir. She's... Oh, it's very bad news, sir. Hi. I'll take the call. Oh, Dr. Bickley, what have you done? Have you put a noose around your neck, Doctor? You were not supposed to know your wife was dead. You hadn't been home. Are those nights and nights of wonderful visions to be wasted? Thrown away by one careless word? Oh, Dr. Bickley, how could you? the first episode of Malice Aforethought. We'd like to leave you with one more fact which makes us feel that this series is destined for a really outstanding success. That is, the popular appeal of the psychological mystery, the box office success of Alfred Hitchcock's psychological mystery films. Here are some of them. Rebecca, Spellbound, 39 Steps, Suspicion, Foreign Correspondent, The Lady Vanishes, all names known throughout the country to millions of movie-going Americans. The consistent success of the Hitchcock films is not accidental. It is based on two things. One, Hitchcock's creative genius as a director and interpreter. Two, and this we believe is important to you, the obvious trend of public interest today in the psychological mystery. I'm terribly sorry we're not able to finish the story this week. As Bickley might say, telling a murder story is a serious business and it takes a little time. Please bear with us and just wait until next week and let's see what happened to old Bickley. You think he'll get away with it? I wonder. This is the Blue Network of the American Broadcasting Company. Light up a creamo, a mellow mild creamo, a winning smoke by far. You can search every climb, but at three for a dime, you can't beat a creamo cigar. Sweet-scented cigar-smoking society. This is Arthur Godfrey down in Washington, D.C. Mike Man Godfrey, Cremo's capricious custodian of the calorific cantata. Autolite and its 96,000 dealers present Suspense. Tonight, Autolite brings you Alibi Me, a suspense play starring Mr. Mickey Rooney. A showdown. This time it's a showdown. No more even Stevens. A showdown. I've took all I'm going to take from him. It's tough enough to hustle a buck even without interference from Julie, without aggravation from Julie. This time it's a showdown with me and him. For real. 
Listen to me. No manners. No knock on the door. No could I come in. No good afternoon. No manners. No class. Always on the muscle, huh? I want to talk Not to you, Not so loud. A little more relaxative with the voice. This ain't no candy store in Brownsville. What's the big idea? Didn't you hear what I said? You ain't on no street corner. You're in a high-class office. Upstairs at dance school. Underneath the music professor. You hear him? Yeah, I hear him. So keep it quiet. Keep it class. I want to know what's a big idea, you hear me? I just came from Pitkin Avenue. There ain't a candy store. There ain't a pool room. There ain't a bar that'll handle my punch boards anymore. Not one. We now take from Julie, they said. They said correct. But that's my territory, Julie. I, I built up that punch board I business know, there. I know, I know. I watched. You'd hustle good. You build it up real nice for me. And I appreciate it. I already sent you the biggest lollipop I could find. The biggest lollipop in town for the town's biggest sucker. Julie, I'm warning You're you. You're warning me what? What? What'll you do? Give me a double whammy like in the funnies? <laughs> oh, ever since we were kids, you hate me, I hate you, and it's like... Like a kind of mutual life insurance for both of us, huh? There's not a cop on the force that don't know how we feel about each other. You're forgetting what Larkin said to us years ago. If ever one of you punks get knocked off, he says, my first suspect will be the other. So what are you warning me? Grow up, Georgie, grow up. I'm not gonna let you get away with it. That punchboard business is mine. I need it, see? You need I the need dough. the dough, too. You need the dough. Well, I'll tell you what. This is just your speed. Here. Here's a half a buck. Run down and get me a corned beef sandwich and keep the change. Here, catch. Julie! Julie, I'm... Look at the face on him. If looks could kill, huh, kid? Uh, go away now, huh? I got a million one things on my mind. I need you standing there like a hole in the head. Larkin, six o'clock, I got to report to Larkin on my parole. <laughs> what? Georgie, Georgie, put down that phone. They'll know you've done it. Georgie, Larkin, oh, no! Hey, no! <laughs> Stunned. I put my hand on the big vein in his neck. Can't feel nothing. Not a flutter. He's dead. In just a moment, Mr. Mickey Rooney in the first act of Alibi Me. Hey, Harlow. Got any New Year's resolutions? Sure have, Hap. First, I'm going to get away fast. Well, goodbye. No, 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 Hap. Get my car away to quick starts with ignition-engineered Autolite spark plugs. Oh? Uh, what else? Uh, smoother performance, Hap. You an actor, Harlow? No, smoother engine performance is what I mean. And the formula is to replace faded, fatigued, worn-out spark plugs with fresh, flawless, ignition-engineered Autolite spark plugs. Uh, sure, but... Any more pledges, Harlow? Well, I'll save gas. Less driving, huh? No, no. More driving, Hap. Because when you replace worn-out spark plugs with ignition-engineered Autolite spark plugs, you get quick starts, smoother performance, and gas savings. Why, you just can't buy better spark plugs for your car than Autolite. But your resolutions, Harlow. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Friends, resolve now to see your neighborhood Autolite spark plug dealer soon. And have him replace worn-out spark plugs with ignition-engineered Autolite spark plugs. And whether you choose the resistor type or the standard type, you'll be right, because you're always right with Autolite. And now, with Alibi Me and the performance of Mr. Mickey Rooney, Autolite hopes once again to keep you in suspense. I look at dead Julie lying there. And I pick up the phone I hit him with. I, I, I wipe it clean. No, no fingerprints. And I stand still and listen. 
No screams, no whistles, no pounding on the door, only the music professor underneath playing like nothing happened. Nothing much has, just one stinkerless world. I looked down at Julie and I remember standing next to him in Larkin's office in the precinct station house years ago. And Lieutenant Larkin saying, If ever one of you punks is knocked off, my first suspect will be the other. Better have a good alibi, whichever one of you does it. Because I'm warning you now, once I get you down to headquarters, you're a hot seater. Good alibi. How much time do I have to set up a good alibi? Ten after four. And at six, Julie was supposed to report to Larkin till six. An hour and fifty minutes to set up an alibi. Not much time. Come on, kid. Come on, get going. I, I leave Julie's office. Julie Moore promotions. Wipe my prints off the knob and hurry downstairs. Hurry down for an alibi I need. Yeah, I need people too for it. But who? Who'll alibi for me? Leo. He's the one. He'll alibi me. Leo! Leo's behind the bar. I, I punk myself down at one end where I'm all alone. Leo sees me, gives me a big grin. I feel relaxed for the first time since I've done it. I wink and I give him a nod. He comes over and we shake. Georgie, Georgie, Lord, love your boy. You're a cypress. All right. Yeah, what do you have, huh? Just name it. It's in the house. Uh, g- give me a scotch, will you, Leo? We've known each other for a long time, huh? Oh, I hate to think of the years that's passed since we met. I'm getting old, Georgie, yeah. old. <laughs> Not too old to remember Couple of favors I've done though for you, huh? Georgie, boy, not if I was to live to be a hundred. Ask any of the old bunch what I say. Georgie, I say, you can have me right arm up to there anytime. Yeah, what you say? Ask him. <laughs> Drink hearty, yeah. son. Well, here's the Thanks, I. Leo, uh, I want you to do something for me. Well, I'm a little short right now. Huh? I had a gallstone cut out last summer. Oh, no, 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 it ain't money, it ain't money, Leo. It's just, well, in case you should be asked, I've been sitting here since. Half past three, huh? Yeah? Yeah. Why? Well, what, what's the difference? Why? Anybody special you want me to say it to? What, are you, you going to do it or not? Look, I mean, George, I got a right to know what I'm getting into. You want me for an alibi? I want to know why. Well, let's not make a production out of it. Chances are you might not even be asked. But if you are, I, I just been sitting here since half past three, see? Okay. Well, Lieutenant Larkin maybe be one of the ones who might ask? Could be. What, what makes you think of him? I just seen him going to Andy's place across the street. He's on the prowl. Just now. Leo, you got to do this for me. You've got to. Not on your life. I ain't alibying you. Not with Larkin in the picture. You ain't the guy to forget favor, are you, huh? Look, you You'll want do money, I'll find money. I don't know where, but I'll find it. You want food, I'll feed you. No, you want clothes, not... I'll clothe you. Just say the word. No, Leo, it's not... no alibi, George. No alibi. Excuse me, I got custom. I feel like taking the bottle and smashing it over his head. Leo, Leo, just wait till heat's off of me this once. Now come a day, Leo, when I remind you what you just said to me. Georgie, Georgie, take a hold of yourself. It's 25 past four. You got only 95 minutes left till six o'clock. When Julie don't show, Larkin goes looking first for Julie, then for you. I got to get ready for Larkin when he finds me. It's got to be a good alibi. He won't settle for less. Think, Georgie, think. Who do you know? Who are your friends? Try to remember. Well, you don't even have to have any friends. I mean... Anybody you can pressure will do. Put down that bottle. Put it down before you drop it and everybody turns around and looks at you. Forget the drink and get out of here. Oh, no, not that front door, stupid. Larkin's across the street. One look at your pussy, he knows something's wrong. The back way. Out the back way. 
<sighs> Hair feels good. I'm hot all over. I can, I can feel sweat running down my legs. It's like an electric current juicing through my body. An electric... George, breathe deep. Take good deep breaths. Oh, that's good. That feels better. Now it's gone. Then it's gone like it was never there. That's your like, Georgie. That's your Moxie. You're not the... You got brains. You're not like... You get an alibi. You'll, you'll have it all set before six, then, then let Larkin come. You can laugh at his face, sure. What time is it? Five minutes more gone. Georgie, think. Stop right where you are. Think. Oh. 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 Aha. You see, it works. This, the second thought and everything comes to you. Joni. That's who Joni. She'll be your alibi. Oh, Georgie, you're such a dope, wasting all that time worrying, aggravating yourself, when all you had to do was come over to the apartment, one, two, three, you, your peace of mind, she's crazy about you. Always has been ever since that day up at Bear Mountain. Which apartment was hers, E.F., Gina? No, J. J, yeah, J for Joni, huh? Let her be in. Please let her be in. I'll, I'll never ask nothing again. Just let her be in. And... Well, oh, look what the baby. Kiss her, Georgie, kiss her. Kiss her hard, that's right. That's it. Now pick her up in your arms, carry her in the living room. Set her down on your lap. Good, good. You ought to be in the movies. <laughs> oh, Joni. I don't know how I managed to stay away so long, baby. I shouldn't talk to you. I really shouldn't. It's more than two months. You want to know why? You began to mean too much to me, kid. So stay away from her, I says to myself. Just don't ever see her. She'll wear off. I, I was wrong, Joni. You mean much more to me than ever, though. I, I couldn't hold out no longer. That's why I'm here. Oh, George, yeah. baby, don't ever stay away again, no matter what the reason. Don't ever stay away from me. Shh, shh, shh. I'm back for good. Honest? Oh, sure. You mean look that? At, look at me and the answer. And you, you get it, huh? Take a good look. Oh, George. See? Satisfied, huh? Oh, it's been terrible without you. All the time singing the blues, not feeling like going out or seeing anybody. Just slopping around the apartment and listening to the radio. I thought I'd go crazy. Yeah, that's over and done with, honey. Happy times are back now. You, you know what? We're going to celebrate tonight. Yeah, put, put on a fancy smoke. We'll step in dinner, a show, dancing after. How does that sound? Mm. I got a new number I've been dying to wear. Yeah, good, good, good. Uh, anybody here today? No, not so. I was all alone, feeling just awful, until uh, you came. Yeah, 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 Joni, look, in case anybody asks you that any, anybody's, not that anybody's going to, I mean, but in case they should, do, do me a favor. Will you tell them I was here with you I'll all day? I'll tell the world you were here with me from the rooftop. I don't care who knows. Would you do that, honey? I love you, Georgie. Oh, baby, I love you, too. I just love you and love you. Ah, you. Swell. But look, Joni, in, in case anybody wants you to be definite, will you say I was here since, so oh, since half past three and stick to it no matter what? Half past three? I'll say I... What? Huh? Wait a sec. What are you trying to get me to do? Well, relax now, relax, honey. What are you sitting up for? No. Huh? No, Georgie. What's, what's the matter? What's the matter? What's the matter? You? Plenty. Huh? Plenty's the matter. You dirty, no good, miserable no, no. piece of humanity. Now, Joni, listen. I'm beginning to get it. I know I'm not the smartest girl ever lived, but how smart do you have to be to get this picture? You ought to be... You stayed away because I was getting to be a habit, Look, huh? You, stop, honey, you can't please. live without me. Isn't that the way it went? You want me. me. You want to spend the afternoon here. Look. Well, isn't that just too touching for words? Trying to sucker me to give yourself an alibi. Now, Johnny, stop yelling. Listen to me. What I said was true. I need you. Honestly, sure you do, to give you an alibi. That's why you came here. Just so I'll say you were here with me since half past three. You want to use me. What have you been up to, Georgie? Huh? What been... have you done since 3.30 that makes you need me like that? No, don't tell me, because it's no good. I don't care what you've done. 
I don't care what's done to you either. Huh? An arrest, jail, the electric chair, I don't care. Yeah. You get no alibi from me, Mr. Wise Guy. Now pick yourself up out of that chair and get out of here. Don't slug it, Georgie. You got no time for that now. Lady, but not now. The main thing now is that alibi. You wasted enough time with her now. You, you'll have to work fast. You wasted a whole half hour. And what did you get for it? Nothing. Only 65 minutes left, kid. That ain't much. That's a complete show in a newsreel theater. It's a five-course dinner at the Little Romanian. 65 minutes to find Juliet Six or a few minutes after, and then... Close it, Georgie, close it. Larkin, on the prowl. He mustn't see you. He, he doesn't let him see you. Larkin sees you. He'll put two and two together. He'll talk... He'll talk to Joni. He'll learn you are trying to set an alibi down to the cellar, kid. Try the backyard. Wait a minute. No, no. No, no panic. Think. Fool alibi. But good... Good airtight, ironclad, cement foundation alibis. Where, where do you get one? Think hard. Who's around town? Who's left? Timmy. Yeah, yeah, Timmy. Don't. You should have thought of him first. Timmy, lying there in the hospital. Timmy, hurry, George. Run, hurry! Autolite is bringing you Mr. Mickey Rooney in Alibi Me. Tonight's production in radio's outstanding theater of thrills, Suspense. Hey, Hap, uh, help me spark a plug. You mean I can help tell about... I do, about Autolite spark plugs. The spark plugs that are ignition engineered to work as a perfect team with your car's ignition system. You know what they'll do for your car, don't you, Harley? No, I sure do, Hap, because when you replace worn-out spark plugs with ignition engineered Autolite spark plugs, you'll get smoother performance, quick starts... Gas savings. You rang the bell that time, Harlow. Well, that's because ignition-engineered Autolite spark plugs are designed by the same Autolite engineers who designed the coil, distributor, and all the other important parts of the complete ignition system used as original factory equipment on many leading makes of our finest cars. Why, Autolite spark plugs are world famous for quality and performance. Go on, Harlow. Well, friends, see your neighborhood Autolite spark plug dealer and have him replace worn-out spark plugs with ignition-engineered Autolite spark plugs, either the resistor type or the standard type, because you're always right with Autolite. And now, Autolite brings back to our Hollywood soundstage Mr. Mickey Rooney in Elliot Lewis's production of Alibi Me, a tale well calculated to keep you in suspense. The general hospital is filled with visitors, some laughing, some looking sad. I walk past the desk and the elevators and up the stairs, the fourth floor. I'm, I'm in Luxie. I see nobody. Nobody sees me. And a quick dash from the corridor to Timmy's room and I just... Georgie. Oh, Georgie, it's good to see you. Hi, Timmy. You're looking 100% sorry. I didn't have time to bring candy or flowers. How you doing, kid? Oh, not good. Not bad at all. Pull up a chair, Georgie. Sit down. Yes. You know something? You look sicker than me. Uh, how, how you feeling, Tim? Oh, not bad. You know how it is with what I got. The worst part's lying here in the hospital. I'm a guy who always likes to be in action, you know? But I'm alive and I'm not kicking. Yeah. Doctors say it was a miracle. Yeah, sure. 
Well, how are things with you, kid? Tim, I'm, I'm leveling with you, see? I come up by the stairs. I, I didn't want no one to see me. Yeah? In a spot, Georgie? I need an alibi for this afternoon, see? Since half past three. You got it, Georgie. Yeah. I'm in this private room. Nobody comes near it. The nurses and orderlies don't come unless I give out a yell. Mm-hmm. And I can have visitors any time I like, but no one was here all day, not even my wife. Timmy, I'll, I'll, I'll never forget you for this. Georgie, you got one of the oldest alibis in the world. What's that? You were sitting up with a sick friend. Anybody <laughs> does it, send him to me. <laughs> Georgie, you never know who's your friend until you're in the jam, huh? Yeah, wait, wait. I'll have a nurse come in so she can see you. Then you take the elevator down, ask some dumb questions so he'll remember you. Do things at all, kid. Do them right. Yeah, you don't miss a trick, do you, huh? Thanks again, Tim. <laughs> I'll ring for a night. <laughs> Georgie. What is it? Georgie. What is it? My ticker. What is it? Georgie. What is it? You, you want some, you drink, a, a drink of water? I don't. You want to? I don't feel so good. What? Call Timmy. Timmy. Don't worry. Don't worry about the alibi. No, Timmy, don't. Timmy, don't, don't die now, Tim. Oh. Tim, don't answer me, please. Don't. don't. He's dead. My alibi is dead. Stop moving, Georgie. No point hanging around. You can't do nothing for him. And he can't do nothing for you. And if you don't find that alibi fast, you'll be seeing him maybe sooner than you think. I leave the hospital the way I came and go into the lobby. I look at the clock. Forty-five minutes left. It's a quarter after five. Forty-five minutes left. Forty... Five minus ten seconds. Twenty, thirty, forty, fifty. Forty-four minutes left. Hurry, George. Hurry! I'm, I'm sunk. It's five or six and I'm sunk. And in ten minutes, maybe Larkin will be here. And I got nothing, nothing in the way of an alibi. I, I tried now. I'm tired of trying. What's the use? Warshaw, I got no alibi. So I come home. I'm walking upstairs, see? And I hear a sound. My landlady. My landlady, Mrs. Edinger, is nailing down linoleum in the hallway. Mrs. Edinger, yeah. How does that song go? Castles in Spain. Clear the window pane back in your own backyard, sure. Yeah, uh, Mrs. Edinger. Here, huh? honey, let me do that for you. Give me that hammer. Oh, it's you, Georgie. Thanks, but never mind. <laughs> You just come in? Yeah, yeah, but if anyone asks you, especially Larkin, you tell them I was in all afternoon, understand? Larkin? Lieutenant Larkin? Yeah, yeah, that's him. Oh, I couldn't do that, Georgie. I won't lie to that cop. Don't count on it. I do count on it, I do. And you'll do it, too. Don't you, don't, don't shake your head. No, I, I say you'll do it. You'll, you'll tell Larkin I'm in my room all day. No, understand? no, Georgie. Mrs. Edinger, you don't tell Larkin I'm in all day, and I'll tell him about Charlotte. I don't have any idea what you mean. Is that a fact? Not even one? Uh, please, Georgie, I don't want no trouble. I'm uh, honest. I work hard to keep my kids uh, honest. You keep your kids honest, huh? So honest that Charlotte lifts a fur jacket right out of the department store. I made her give it back. I marched her into the store myself. We oh, gave did. it back to the manager. Sure, I know, I know. But a crime's a crime, whether a store prosecutes her or not. You, you, you couldn't. She's something only 15. You, you wouldn't tell. Her life would be ruined, uh, Georgie. None. None, none. Mrs. Hedinger, what's to cry? Am I going to tell on Charlotte? Of course not. I'll keep my mouth shut just like you want. And you'll open your mouth just like I want, and everything will be fine. 
If Larkin asked you, I I wasn't out of my room all afternoon. Agreed? You won't tell him about Charlotte? Not a word. I take an oath. Look, I, I swear it. All right, George. All right. But not a word about Charlotte. My memory is terrible. As long as yours is good. And there's my alibi. Safe, sealed, and delivered. <laughs> yeah, the best alibi in the world. Quarter past six. Won't be long now, but watch yourself when Larkin is here, kiddo. Just the right attitude, remember. Not too anxious, not too casual. Just, just right, you know. Yeah? Who is it? Open up, Georgie. It's me, Larkin. Who, who is it? Oh, well, well, what a surprise. Yeah. And, and, and to what do I owe this great pleasure? Remember, I once told you, Georgie, if anything happened to Julie or to you, my first pickup would be the other one. Yeah, I remember. So what? Oh, oh. You mean Julie is... He's been... He's been made dead. No, kid. No. What do you know? And you come over to me with your shoulder to cry on, huh? You're not surprised? Uh, I'm not the only guy who hated Julie, you know. Let me know who did it when you find out. I'll contribute a sawbuck to his defense, see? Save your money, Georgie. You might need it. How come? Remember I told you at the same time, you better have a good alibi, because once I got you down to headquarters, I'd prove you did it. Yeah, that word seems to strike a bell. I'll give, Georgie. Where were you today? Huh? I, I, was, I was nowhere. Oh, that a fact? It's a fact. I was right here all afternoon. Can you prove it? It ain't easy to prove you were somewhere alone all day. You Can know, you prove it... you were here? Well, I didn't see anybody except... Oh, yeah. Yeah, Mrs. Mrs. Edinger. My landlady. Yeah, all know? right. Let's hear her version. Mrs. Edinger? Hey, Mrs. Edinger! What is it? Come on up here a minute, will you? Now? Yeah, right now. All right, I'm coming. If it's a complaint, I don't want to hear. Tell me tomorrow. Today I can't take another. This is one. Lieutenant Larkin. He wants uh, to sit ask Sit down, you Mrs. Edinger. You must be tired. I won't keep you long. <laughs> Uh, were you in all day? The whole day. Was, uh, Georgie in all day? Georgie? This Georgie? Well, how many you got in the place? Yes, sure, he was in. You're positive? I'm positive, I'm positive. What makes you so positive? What makes me so positive? I cleaned his room, that's what makes me so positive. Yeah, that's what, that's what she cleaned it, yeah. And I pressed a suit for him later, that's what makes me so positive. Yeah. And when I was sweeping the hall, his door was open and I saw him, and when I was... Downstairs, he yelled down to me a couple of times. You're uh, prepared to swear to that in a court of law? Go ahead, Miss Edinger, swear by your daughter's head. I swear. I swear it. Yeah. All right, all right. Thank you. You can go. I work hard all day, old man. Well, that's it then, Georgie. Meaning? Meaning your alibi stinks, as far as I'm personally concerned. But for the record, it lets you off the hook. Hate that, don't you? You'd like to hang the big one on me, wouldn't you? I'll see you around, Georgie. Keep your nose clean. Yeah, sure thing. Lennox, Mr. Oh. George Lennox. Uh, yeah, that's me, kid. Yeah. I got a package for you. Blue Arrow Delivery Service, sign here. Yeah, good. 
Who's it from? Uh, uh, Mr. Moore, Mr. Julie Moore. Open it, Georgie. I want to see. Yeah. yeah, I'll open it up and see. It's a lollipop. I've never seen such a big one. Last your opinion, beat it. Will you get out of here? Look, you go on, beat it. What are you waiting for? What do you think he's waiting for, Georgie? Stake the You kid. stake him. What am I, a mint? You stake him. Go ahead. Okay, cheapskate. Okay, keep your lousy tip. Fine thing. I'm here twice this morning and three times this afternoon, and you're not in. Five times up and down them stairs and not even a nickel tip. Shut up! Shut up! Shut up! Hey, thanks, man. Shut up! A whole buck. Thanks. Don't mention it, kid. You deserve it. You earned it. Shut up! Thanks. Oh, I, I almost forgot. There's a message goes with it. To the biggest sucker in town. That's all there is to the message. It's enough. Get your hat and coat, Georgie. Suspense, presented by Autolite. Tonight's star, Mickey Rooney. Hey, Hap, do you know something? They're a great group. Who, Harlow? Why, the more than 400 products made by Autolite for cars, trucks, planes, and boats in 28 plants from coast to coast. These include complete electrical systems used as original factory equipment on many leading makes of America's finest cars, Electric windshield wipers, starting motors, voltage regulators, coils, distributors, wire and cable generators, all engineered to fit together perfectly, work together perfectly, because they're a perfect team. So, friends, don't accept electrical parts supposed to be as good. Ask for and insist on original factory parts at your neighborhood service station, car dealer, garage, or repair shop. And because all Autolite parts are original factory parts, you can be sure that, that you're right. Because you're always right with Autolite. Next week on Suspense, Miss Ginger Rogers as star of Vamp Till Dead. And in weeks to come, you will hear such famous stars as Eve Arden, Ezio Pinza, and Paul Douglas, all appearing in tales well calculated to keep you in suspense. is produced and directed by Elliot Lewis with music composed by Lucian Morawieck and conducted by Lud Gluskin. Alibi Me was written by Third Jeffrey and adapted for suspense by Walter Newman. Mickey Rooney is appearing by arrangement with MGM, producers of the Technicolor production Pagan Love Song, starring Esther Williams, Howard Keel, and Mina Gomble. And remember, next week on Suspense, Miss Ginger Rogers in Vamp Till Dead.
buy world-famous Autolite resistor-type or standard-type spark plugs, Autolite safe batteries, Autolite electrical parts at your neighborhood Autolite dealers. Switch to Autolite. Good night. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. <laughs> 